As a mental health advocate and author, I love books. Books have the capacity to inspire, educate, transform, and ultimately help readers all over the world. So if you want to publish your book or if you need help writing your story, I highly recommend Mindstir Media, rated the number one best book publisher around the country. Mindstir Media can help you no matter where you are in the book writing or publishing process. Go to mindstermedia.com to learn more and schedule a consultation. Out Comes the Sun with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Out Comes the Sun compassionately helps you navigate mental wellness practices that you can apply to your daily life. And we tell your story. And now, Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Everybody and welcome to Outcomes of Sun Radio. You are listening to me, Mariel Hemingway, with my amazing co-host, Melissa Yamaguchi. And we are going to talk today about, I mean, we have a great show, by the way, super great guest. But today we're going to talk about something very interesting, I think. Uh, we're going to talk about the orcas in Spain. Because the orcas in Spain, there was, a, okay, so there's this story. Outside of, of Spain. Outside uh, of Spain. Why don't you tell the story since you know it better? Well, you know the story better. Around I'm, eight, 2018. I'm the real story. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Around 2018-19, there was there uh, an orca mother and her calf were doing what orca mothers and calves do when a ship came by and, and, and the rudder hurt the baby, hurt the calf, and the calf died. And the mother orca in her pain began slamming into the ship and sunk it. And out of, in her grief and her wailing, no pun intended there, she continued to hit other ships and start sinking ships. And the other orcas began learning from her. There There was an anger a collective anger about these ships that are disrupting our earth down here, our world down here. And so orcas have been ramming them. So the the Spanish government, as well the Portuguese government and all the other surrounding countries were trying to figure out how they could address this when a lot of psychologists have been talking about what it could possibly mean on a bigger scale. And then I was telling you that just the other day, there was a two manned catamaran kayak out yeah. in the in the ocean, um, here on the Pacific side, and uh, two uh, some what, uh, paddle boarders were coming nearby them and had some body cams on, on their their vest, and witnessed a whale come up and swallow the two manned k- kayak, and then I mean it's this is Bobby so, Dick. This is Bobby Dick I know. Stuff. Well, when you told me I was walking on the beach, I said that's a Moby Dick. S H I T. That it, it that's it's absolutely the yeah I said it too. It's it absolutely Moby so- Dick. And so the the paddle boarders immediately dropped their oars and began paddling like crazy back to shore, but turned around and witnessed the whale spit out the 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 kayakers. But right. you and I began talking about what does By all this way, mean? Just 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 to interrupt you, they're still alive. Those humans are still alive. So oh yeah, they're still alive. Actually, 
I'm the meat to tell the tale. That's exactly I mean, right. Which is crazy. But to me, this just is this is nature's way of saying, hey, enough. You have you you're, you know, we are being this is this is our our nature, our land, our home as well. So please take care of us. I mean, I think it's why our weather has gone cuckoo, cuckoo bananas, because the earth is trying to tell us, look, we gotta, we gotta, you gotta hang in there for us. You gotta help us out. I've I've been an environmentalist since I was a kid. I used to go to Washington D.C. and testify on uh, in Washington about about the environment back in the day. And now it's just, I think the animals are trying to tell us, like. We need to take care of one another. Yes. We do. I mean, oftentimes it's not just like these whales who are attacking ships or eating eating kayakers or taking a big bite of them. It's it's sometimes when animals are helping each other. There's yes. like you can see all kinds of crazy things on YouTube where dogs are helping other kinds of animals or yeah. you know like bears do, they're coming together to to say it's it's almost like please do as we do like we need to be more of a community i think because we've become so divided as human beings we're so segregated we're so this our belief system i don't care about yours i you know whatever and it's isolating us as humans and the animals are kind of going hey we need to come together. This, you know, our, 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 our planet is in jeopardy because, because of how we've treated it. Uh, so yeah. I, I think, I think it's kind of a, it's, it's symbolic of really what we need to do as human beings. Don't you believe that? Well, I think that, you know, the underlying score of every ailment or challenge that we'll ever face. Uh, and I've been saying this forever and I'll continue to say it because I do believe it, is greed. And we, we have, we've taken advantage of so much around us because we can and the orca ramming into the ship obviously there wasn't some um cognitive goal to destroy every person on a ship it's just that whatever this thing is is obstructing the way we live down here and with the whale coming up you know when they say that when the during shark season when the sharks come in they, they get closer in that didn't happen a while back they didn't get as close to shore they didn't need to and so i i believe that lessons that are presented to us in order for us to slow down to catch to catch a breath and to, to say what does this mean instead of just shooting all the orcas or slaughtering all the whales or killing all the shark or destroying whatever irritates us um i think what we have to pull back and to say what is what does this mean and yeah, if only our collective leaders uh, globally would t have that wisdom to pull back and say, what does this mean? You can look to the wise leaders of any indigenous group and well, every leader will say, listen to nature and pull back for a minute. Take a break. Pause. Yeah, well, yeah. And nature is, is, is trying to tell us something. I had a friend who went down to Mexico and the, the seaweed has taken over because it's trying to I think get rid of the toxins that are in the ocean because oh, they're wow. just dumping. So wow. certain beaches, I think in Florida and in places in Mexico are just being surrounded. Yes. Seaweed. And 
you know, it has a purpose. It's kind of like when your body is in, inflamed, inflammation is a way of your body trying to protect itself, protect an injury. But I, I feel like the seaweed is doing the same thing. So I think it's just, like you said, it, it's about waking up and yep. opening your eyes to what's going on and, and saying, you know, we need to, we need to just be aware of this. And what does this mean? And, yes. and if we could collectively as countries come together and just go, look, we've got to do something together. This is not about, you know, my political beliefs, my I'm over here on this country and I've got, it's not about that anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, if wishes were fishes, right? If wishes were fishes, they might eat you. If wishes were fishes, <laughs> I'd cast my line. <laughs> they might like, that's an old expression. Well, I, we got, we've got such, we got good stuff coming up, Meryl. We have a, somebody that you met recently coming up as our guest, who's amazing, a lovely soul. She is a lovely soul. Her name is Shannon McGuire and stay right where you are because we're going to come back with an interview with her. She's uh, written an incredible book. She has a lot of energy. So, you know, stay right. Fun, fun in the sun. Back. You're listening to Outcomes of Sun Radio with Marielle Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Welcome back to Outcomes of Sun Radio. Uh, you're here with Marielle Hemingway. That's me and my co-host Melissa Yamaguchi and we have such a great guest I've actually met her in person she's incredibly inspiring her name is Shannon McGuire and Shannon McGuire is a strategist a coach a speaker an author a mom of four hello and above all else Shannon McGuire is a mom a mom 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 she's wow I mean what an incredible mom She's a mother of four. She's built and honed valuable skills that she wants to pass on to others and parents and non-parents alike. She believes that the art and science of momming can help every human on this planet feel good about being themselves. And that's the key to a better world. This conviction is why Shannon created Super Me Moms, an organization dedicated to sharing mom wisdom to help people conquer, conquer obstacles in their, in their lives and so they can thrive. Uh, Shannon applies her mom skills in her many roles as entrepreneur, strategist, community leader, speaker, and coach. She is the founder and CEO, Chief Empowerment Officer of Spark and Strategic Solutions, an Idaho Yes, thank you, Idaho, my my home state. Idaho-based consultancy, uh, consultancy company helping leaders build harmonious and co-creative communities. It's amazing. I am actually doing something with Shannon uh, in a couple of weeks. I, or may, I don't know. It's not long. We're we're doing this anyway. Shannon, Shannon, welcome. You are you are extraordinary. You are extraordinary because. Because you have juggled more than most of us have in our lives. Like you grew up here in Los Angeles. And when I say you grew up in Los Angeles, you grew up in South Central. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for that. I, I'm extraordinary. 
ordinary of a mom. Um, but yes, my origins, my old stomping grounds. I grew up in South Central during the 80s and 90s. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, that's amazing because I mean, I remember it was like it's changed a lot since then, but it, you know, that was the hood. So that's yeah. what you meant by it's not the hood you probably <laughs> kinda. Kind of, yeah, kind of. You know, it's interesting because when I moved to Idaho about 15 years ago, the first thing was like, so where are you from? And when I would say it, they're like, how did you end up here? Yeah, <laughs> right? I'm like, there were stops along the way, but Idaho spoke to me, it called to me. But as I reflect on my origin story, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for growing up in that environment. It's made me who I am. Sure. Yeah. And, and in your book, you know, uh, Mothers from the Hood, Conquering Fear, Uncertainty, and Chaos in Life's Most Difficult Hood. You tell your personal story. Could you share a little bit of your story with us? Yeah, yeah. So I like to say by the age of 10, I was a veteran of community war. So I had witnessed and gone through so much trauma, so many aces. I probably had eight, nine by the time I was 10 years old in some ways. And some they don't even count because they don't get it. Um, so by that time, I had a different view of life. I grew up fast. I had to grow up hard because we were surrounded by predators. Also, just the survival mentality. So I unfolded my origins in a way to explain what it was like to go through a quarter life crisis. Back in my day, we just said midlife, but I was only 25. So I <laughs> broke down, I would say, broke down for a breakthrough. Um, I shared my origins and sort of unfolded the journey to detangling. And the most difficult hood, I'll say, is victimhood. And I have to pause. Victimhood. I cannot stand the labels. It's like playground teasing and your mama jokes. You're a victim. You're a victim. No labels. This isn't about labels and these identities of victim. I, I want to remove that word and really focus on victimhood as the mental construct in prison. We put ourselves in, we end up in when life doesn't go our way. Enter mom wisdom. Think about toddlers, three years old. What happens when you say no and they finally register for the first time that they won't get their way? What? Three <laughs> natures, right? So I really sort of just, not even sort of, I heartfully approach this sharing my journal in some ways of, of my diary and what I went through so that I could read it during the tough times. So my family could read it and probably get some understanding on why it is the way I is. And more importantly, tying it all together is humanity for those that don't feel good about being themselves, uh, because I think it's wildly important to create and culture. Well, how about curate joy? I just feel like there's so much fear, anger, disgust, sadness, and schadenfreude out there. We don't talk as much about joy. So you can still find joy in the hardships was the message of my story. Growing up in hard times and hard places didn't prevent me and my family from finding those nuggets of good. So when I think of Outcomes of the Sun, this book was like coming out, my son and like my mom closet, like this is the secret, conquered it, still conquering it because it's lifelong, lowered it's lifelong. That's amazing. Well, and, and the thing that we kind of resonated on when we were sitting next to each other in this so-called meeting we were having because we're doing an event together, um, we just kept going, oh my God, you're, you're my person. I speak your language because you really understand. You understand that it's the choices we make every day. It's how we're living our lives. It's how you wake up in the morning. It's the food you're eating. It's whether you drink water. It's whether you're getting sun, 
like we were just talking about, whether you ground. I mean, I couldn't believe that you were like, yes, I totally, you know, I go, I take my shoes off, I, I do that. I mean, there were so many things that we just went, oh, yes. And it just gives you confirmation that those things are actually powerful tools to help us balance our brain, to help us negotiate difficult and, and challenging times. Oh, absolutely, Mariel. I think when I heard your story and your keynote, I was high five in things you were saying. The seven doctors, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Get grounded. <laughs> the simple things, the ability to respond. I think responsibility has gotten bad raps lately because I know that there's people in circumstances, I grew up with them, still are helping them every day in community. Folks that feel like they're trapped and they can't get out. But I like to open everything with consent. Always be mindful of what you're consenting to. That's the power right there. That awareness of what am I consenting to? What am I deciding? I can breathe more deeply. I can go outside and get sun. I can walk around. I can take those tiny moments and nuggets of gratitude and find joy because that's the gateway. Gratitude is the gateway to joy. And despite the gunshots and the sirens and the craziness that I grew up in, I could find within me the joy that was always there. And that was hard because I was like that joyful kid and I had to hide it because joy had no place in some of those environments. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not happy. <laughs> you know. And there were certainly moments as a kid wow. where I wasn't happy, but I feel like now I just, I feel called during this time to stand up and go, it's possible. It's possible to not be an anomaly as you unshackle from your family legacy. Thank you for sharing your story. It is such a testament to what's probable. Um, and there's so many of us out there doing this work, no matter where and what hierarchy we fall in and celebrity status, I'm extraordinary. Um, but I, I just think I appreciate you and others like you sharing your story as a beacon for hope and joy. We need more of it. So thank you for being you. And thank you for opening space for me to be me and share this. Seriously. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure for both Melissa and I. <laughs> well, I have I have a couple of questions. I read the book, which I'm going to do my little Price is Right moment here and bring it up again. <laughs> watching the show. I miss Price is Right. So I, <laughs> the old Carol Merrill mo moments. Oh. Um, so you you there's some things you brought up that are so valuable. I had to put my glasses on to make sure I was reading the word right. You have an acronym that I would like for you to go through. You already know what I'm going to say. It is, <laughs> It is the acronym of F-U-C-D, yep. and this is about going, what you talked about a while ago, the vic moving, you know, working through the victimhood. So I would like for you to tell us what F-U-C-D stands for. Yes, fear, uncertainty, chaos, division. I say it is the most heightened, dangerous place for moms and other caregivers to end up. Because when we do that, we pose the biggest threat to humanity's well-being. When moms and caregivers give up, the world is F-U-C-D, because I won't say it. <laughs> Not, I'm working on that. I'm working on the swear words. I have to put acronyms to them so I can explain them to my children. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I recently, here's a sidebar. I recently read that those who do have, let, allow profanity to slide into their conversation are less stressed and usually coming from a higher level of, of intelligence. So I'm going to ride with that one. I'm going to take that scientific study and I'm going to add to it somewhere. Go ahead. I, you, you got me. That's like right here. So when I say she. Yeah, yes. I'm like, <laughs> Melissa gave me permission. She says, yes. So it's interesting because in my culture and how I grew up, I was constantly surrounded by swear words. It was how communication happened. Sometimes to celebrate, sometimes to get angry. 
So a funny story, the S word for, for sure, I found goes back to my grandma on my dad's side. So my dad was explaining to me why I say this word so frequently. And he's like, your grandma used to clean the house, come home. Ooh, shh. And I'm like, oh, talk about where that programs. So for the F word, I just kept thinking, what is a way that I could describe victimhood from my inner place that folks would get it? And I'm like, because when you have conversations, when you're F-U-C-D, they don't go well. They don't go well. So being fearful, uncertain, chaotic, and divisive, we enclose ourselves into these mental constructs of victimhood. And <laughs> I like to say we go into the dark. And then when someone comes out and they are sunny and bright and shine, it hurts sometimes because you're like, wait a minute, who turned on that light? Why are you so damn happy? You know, it's just different right. ways that I've experienced it. And so I just thought, well, not to my culture and not to how my brain works, F-U-C-D. So when I say it in my home and I use it, I know I'm like, wait a minute, I might be in victimhood, which is a hard place to admit we are. Yeah. So hard. You talk about the seven tools also that, that you've, you've utilized and you talk, you, there's a line you said here that I want to highlight. You said you did some research on the difference between lotus flowers and water lilies. Yes. So I, I was, I'm just curious. I love pulling from all cultures, always been fascinated by the lotus. So my husband bought me these water lily earrings and I'm like, lotus. He's like, they're water lilies. I'm like, there's a difference. So I went and researched it one day, just curious. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so similar, but different. I have so much respect for both where the lily floats on top. The lotus is so powerful. The lotus reminds me of the sun because in some ways it emerges from the murky dark depths of just chaos and it opens pristinely and beautiful and pure. And this is a symbol in so many cultures, so many cultures of renewal and transformation and birth. So on the cover of my book, my wonderful, wonderful illustrator uh, and partner, Jenny helped me put into words what I was trying to say I was experiencing, even going through this process and revisiting, coming from this tangled mess of F-U-C-D chaos, out emerges the birth of this mother that is me. Um, and at night, we go back in sometimes, and then we come back out. Because you can't just stay out in the sun all day. It Sometimes you just need sleep, you know? So we go. And I think that's one of the myths that I hope to help dispel about victimhood and not feeling good about being yourself is that you have to stay there forever. To your point, Mariel, you can actively start to make decisions and choose tiny things. I am going to smile. I am going to acknowledge that I am breathing and without breath, I wouldn't exist. I will see the sun. I can put on my favorite song and jam out. There's so many things we can do, we can respond to. So victimhood and F-U-C-D became an easy way for me to showcase how bad and toxic it is when you fall in the shit pit. I said it, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay i think we're okay I okay it's summertime and we're just going to work <laughs> totally totally yes yes oh my gosh well you know that that metaphor of you know coming up out of the it, it, it it's such a metaphor for everything we do in our life it's not just motherhood it's you know i think that sometimes you have to dig in deep into the dark things that seem so horrible but then what you realize is if you dig in if you open your eyes to it if you become aware of it then all of a sudden it can emerge and become 
this lotus flower, it beca becomes something beautiful. But if you leave it in the inside, if you leave it in this murky darkness, it's it becomes bigger and bigger and you get more and more afraid of it. Whereas when you just address it, you can actually turn it into something. And, and that's what I feel like you've really done. You really came from this murky, dark place and, you know, and you, and you have, you know, you have arisen out into, into life doing good things and, and, and honorable things and things that change people's lives. And you're also doing it let's be honest, you're doing it in a state that is incredibly conservative, right? You're not, you're not the norm in Idaho. I mean, yeah, you know, right. I, I, you know, I'm not trying to be like, yeah, totally. totally. That's what I'm saying. I mean, oh it, my goodness. Yes. When I travel people, um, sorry, people say that when they, they're like, where are you from? I'm like, Idaho. They're like, what? <laughs> like, oh, right. Yeah. I mean, I love the state. I'm from it, but it, you know, there are places in Idaho, not so much in Boise, not where I grew up in Ketchum Sun Valley, but there are places where the where their their mindset is not as open and as expansive and not as forgiving and perhaps as um, help me with the word, Melissa. What word am I looking for? As I don't know. Not no. as liberal. Not as liberal yes. minded. Thank you, liberal. Yeah, not liberal-minded, yeah. It's not about being liberal or conservative. It's just about people don't are afraid of what they don't understand. And I and evolved. I, I just not evolved. I can yeah. keep going. Yeah, you might want to stop me. You know the thing I appreciate about Idaho. So I've traveled all over. I've gone far up east, everywhere, stomped through some of the places people told me I shouldn't stomp through. And the biggest thing that I've learned, um, I'll, I'll phrase it, Idahoans are good neighbors with tall fences. I think sometimes because there is such a rural community view of not staying up to date on things and what they yeah. do hear and see, they grow up with. So it's such an insular view, generationally mm -hmm. some ways. But yes. I do find that I have had some of the best conversations with the people you would think are non-approachable. Oh, and yeah. I found that a big part of it is energy, right? It's what energy are you walking in with? If you have a, when I, I'll use I statements, when I walk in truth, trust, and openness, I can show up and receive. And I can be hell of aware because, you know, I'm not stupid. I grew up in South Central, so <laughs> not walking in areas that I shouldn't. And you can just energetically, intuitively feel but I will say, I love my home. I love it here. I do think we have some ways to go. And the thing for me is the division. It goes back to FUCD. It's you're this or you're not this, or you're here and you're not there. I live my way, you live your way, we get along. And why can't we do that? Usually because there is a outward view or a storyline that we expect others to follow. And Idaho certainly does not trend for the best things in the nation, not even for mom stuff, Lord have mercy. But at the same time, I think you'll know and appreciate it too, Meryl, because you've been here. There's this undertone of, of tight-knit community, superheroes in the background, making things happen. And I appreciate that. We have a ways to go, but I'm so hopeful because the people that I meet, they're such kind people. There's a kindness here that I have not experienced. I mean, Hawaii, yes. Pockets of LA and other places I've traveled, but there's something special about um, people when they're open to receive. Some people are not. Some people just can't talk to their ass because you're like, nope, 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 nope. But there but that, are more people. Everywhere. 
but totally. that's everywhere, right? That's yes. not that's not just Idaho. And I think you make a really important point that people being aware of how they show up. You know, if your belief systems are written all over you, you know, or I was brought up this way and your trauma is here and your this is here and my mother slapped me here. So you're defensive. If you're walking into a situation, no matter what it is, with all of that baggage, it's not going to be received well. I mean, Melissa probably has a better understanding of how energy shifts people and and how it can. And I, I mean, she does things where, and you you must make note of this, she does energy reads that are sent to you daily in a little text. But what's wonderful about that is it helps you to say, okay, so today I don't, I, I have low energy, so I need to, like I need to boost myself. She actually gives you a tip in your in your thing. Like you you need to be careful in certain areas, but I think that having an awareness of how we show up in the world, that is energy and that is that's also taking responsibility for yourself and not assuming that there is somebody to blame, that the only way anything is happening in your life is because because you actually orchestrated that. I mean, I think we are the orchestrators of our own existence, right? How, how we show up, we did all this, right? Yes, so, and that's a hard pill for folks to swallow. It's like, you gave me the red pill, like hold. Yes, <laughs> right? right? It, it's, it's not, I instantly think I'm gonna win the lottery and it happens. What we perceive and what we believe becomes our reality existence. Okay. And it is such a, a small window of awareness that we have to pop into. And I know when I first started, when I first started to express victimhood in a way that was tangible, oh man, you can't tell people they're in victimhood. Don't do that. Don't do that because they turn on you quicker than like a Siamese cat. Like, and I love cats. I just want to say the Siamese cat, there was something <laughs> about that. Do you remember that? Was that lady in the tramp with those? Anyway, that's right. <laughs> I just feel like that moment of pause is our ability to respond. And I love that word responsibility because it tells me the power that I have is already inside of me. That's it. Otherwise I'm in victimhood going, you did this and I can't change until you change. That's like saying, I'm not going to be happy unless it was sunny and 85 degrees on point every single day. <laughs> it makes no sense. So yeah. I am with you, but I understand when we are in survival consciousness, how hard it is how hard it is to acknowledge what we've consented to. That's why I always, I'm like, be mindful of what you're consenting to. The heart and mind are sacred. What we invite in and what we believe becomes our reality. So what do we have to believe to feel what we're feeling? So I'm like high-fiving you. Can't have this many conversation with two people. This conversation, people, <laughs> people rage and F-U-C-D out. And I'm like, I'm just giving you love. You know what, don't you find that you've got a line in your book where you say you're fighting to be me. <sighs> and when you're fighting to be me, you're taking ownership of your life. And that's the whole tagline for my company. Because when you own your energy, you own your life. So when you're fighting to be me, you're saying, no, this is my life. I landed here, this point, this place in time. And, and I've got to, at some point, for some people it happens young, they, they get an awareness, maybe younger, preteen. Some people it doesn't happen till 20s, 30s, sometimes even, I'm waiting for some people to pick up and they're in their 60s. But nevertheless, when you finally get to that point, you know, when you hit that point and you're like, no, I got to, I need to own this life. You, but I love this line fighting to be me because mm -hmm. that's your truth. 
And I'd like for you to expand on that because we've got an audience that I know are listening. They, they're trying, they're fighting to be mean. They don't know how. Shall oh, we? man. Thank you for that. I see the image in the book of me as that little girl with that big ass backpack full of rocks of beliefs and burdens and expectations. And that was the first stage for me. I, I had to literally fight to be myself. I had to get to this place where I learned to say yes to me. It wasn't about no to them. Right. It was yes to me. It wasn't about boundaries. I feel like boundaries are so external and it's about blocking others from coming in. I'm about my guardrails. Mm -hmm. Fighting to be me is really about putting up those guardrails and understanding where my lane is, choosing to actively get in the car, take the wheel, go. And so the first stage of that evolution into becoming me and just super, super me was I had to fight for it. I literally had to fight for it. And it wasn't easy. And I still evolve through that to this day. I'm literally, I won't say I'm in the fighting mode anymore. I'm, I say, I would say I'm flowing into, I'm relaxing, I'm releasing to be me. And it's a different, beautiful place. But the early stages of coming into your own, it is a fight. Yeah. It is. And it's not easy because by saying yes to yourself, other people say, well, you're saying no to me. And then going back and forth and forth and back, it's like, you see that? You're making it about you. I'm trying to make it about me right now. <laughs> saying yes to me. Guardrails up, window up, I'm out, you know? So right. I, I feel like the nugget of encouragement I tried to give is how young it starts. For me, that was 12 years old. That was 12 to 13. Um, there's a blackout period there. The brain does what it needs to survive. But in those tween, early teen years, I had to say yes to me and not what was defined for me. Woo! Right. Hard days. Wow. Hard wow. days. Thank you for that. Oh, thank you. So cool that you get me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been through a lot and we've, you know, we've done a lot of work on ourselves and so have you, and you've taken that responsibility, that response, response ability you know, take it having response and, and rather than having reaction. And that takes, that takes repetition. You've got to keep doing that. You've got to keep doing that. And I think what your book does, it, 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 it invites people to look at those habits, look at those habits they've done, and then invite new habits of awareness first to be aware of how we're not responding, how we're reacting all the time, how we're anxious and all this stuff. And where do we take responsibility for that? Because ultimately it is in our choices, you know, and especially being a mom, it's, you know, there are times when it's super challenging and you see voices that aren't really your voice. Oh my God, I think that's my mom, <laughs> you know, oh my God, you know, whatever. Not that my mom was bad, but you know, she was definitely not a responder. <laughs> she definitely was a reactor, you know? And so it's, it, it, and you, your book gives, gives a, I'd like you to share some of the kind of, some of the things that the takeaways from your book that you'd like people to know about. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. I think I froze up there in my back. Yay. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> the book unfolded over, gosh, almost 30 years in some way. So I, I, I think folks get that. I wanted to do that to say that I didn't arrive here overnight. The biggest thing that I've learned is the importance of answering the question, asking self and answering, how are you? 
really? How are you really? And understanding that by acknowledging the feeling, I'm not the feeling, I'm the one that sees it. That subtle, subtle question becomes so powerful because there becomes this space to start with you. That's so important. That's the number one thing. And I love to put it into an acronym. Y'all know I love my acronyms. Joy, just observe you. Taking that time to just observe you gives you the space to answer and really become your own coach. Yeah. That's what I had to do at the youngest of ages. I didn't get it. I had to become that person and change to your point, the voices, the voices that would come in and tell me who I was and what to believe that constant fighting. It evolved eventually for me to say, what does it mean to feel good? How would I define that to feel? I'm big on energy, Melissa, Mammy, and you like energy is so important and to feel good and self-define that. And then one of the most powerful things that happened to me after I acknowledged how I felt and the desire to feel good and doing that, I could show up for the other people in my life. I could turn my lens outward and see them. And once I did that, I could see how they were suffering. And those simple things, I would say, changed my world forever. There's more tools in there for sure. But just observing myself, coaching myself through it, acknowledging, acknowledging how I feel and going, I feel angry. That doesn't mean I am angry. I feel it. And by feeling it, I could say, wait a minute, if I'm feeling it, I acknowledge it. I can respond differently. I'm just hurt. (laughs) (laughs) So it's metacognition. It's having a conversation with self. I'm wild. I'm witty. I'm crazy. I get it. And I mean that with the most love for the word, I had to suspend the realities that were put upon me and really go into a space to create Mm -hmm. my own self. Um, And I would say the book really is from the heart of while I came from hard places and hard things in part one, part two, I walked the reader through the conqueror's journey, I call it, of what it took to really understand what a gift my adversities were. I didn't see it then. I could see it now. And I could also see my parents and the folks around me with such love and compassion because I went, oh my gosh they learn this and they learn this and they learn this and it stopped the blame. Yeah. It made me recognize that we are all fighting and battling things and we can unshackle from the victimhood mentality. Mm-hmm. So I just, I really put my heart, I put my foot in it as my family would say, and just try to give something in a way that made tangible the shared feelings, no matter where we come from. We have these shared feelings of fear, anger, disgust, sadness, schadenfreude, deriding joy off another's misery, which is so toxic. It's our most subtle toxic sickness that we have. Uh, But it just opened my heart. And I thank you for receiving the message because I could tell you writing that thing was hard. It's hard. It's hard because it was coming from my head. And it wasn't until I came with my heart words that it flowed beautifully and the lotus popped up. And I was like, yes. Oh, I love that. I like I, you said I feel angry, but I'm not angry. And all I could think was I'm using this line because I have been accused of having resting bitch face. I'm not mad. I'm just contemplating. Just about to say that I'm contemplative I, and reconsiderate. Give me a moment. <laughs> I am listening. I love all that. Oh, I love that. Oh, I have a resting joy face, so people mistake <laughs> it like I'm a green, and I'm like. No, 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 I'm not. (laughs) 
That's awesome. Well, we're we're kind of wrapping up and I, I'm, I'm sad to say that, but I want people to know that you're doing incredible work with, with trying to, you know, uh, reduce poverty, help teens, which is one of the things close to my heart. And, and it's one of the things that we're going to do in Boise. We're going to have a community conversation with many different kinds of people, but I really hope that we, uh, this conversation kind of opens up that, that talk to teenagers who are not the easiest to talk to actually. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I, I would really love for you to just take a second and tell us about Spark and what, and what you do there. Yeah, Spark, I say we lead leaders. We get to help bridge the divides between differing perspectives by inviting folks to listen and learn and hear how folks really are before they make decisions. I'm so excited to do that event with you. I'm so excited. Yes, yes. It's going to be so good. You are a delight and so bubbly and so great. And I don't know, Melissa, I think it was pretty awesome. I struggled through the entire interview, but I'm still I saw here. the resting bitch face. <laughs> you saw the I resting saw bitch face. Throughout I'm the whole work thing. on that resting joy. I don't know. That's dangerous. That's like Lucy Ricardo right there. That's dangerous. <laughs> I've been called that before, so I'll take it. You are fantastic. Thank you. So, Thank you so, so much. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Shannon. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Cool. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Outcomes the Sun. I'm Melissa Yamaguchi with my co-host Meryl Hemingway, and I'm here to share with you an energy tip. So in energy, not only do you focus on the different components of your home, the different rooms and directions and so forth, as, as our society is aging and more there are more baby boomers over the age of 60 and 65 in greater con, con, concentration, I should say, in different communities, we need to be aware of what does it mean to live with an elder in your home and whether you have you've brought in an in-law or a parent or a cousin someone in your family who is older how do you energetically through the lessons of feng shui get your home prepared to understand how to to handle this so there are some different tips that we utilize in feng shui when bringing in an elder into your home and the first one is to remember to bring the outdoors in we know that nature can reduce stress and anxiety and oftentimes if an elder moves into your home or even if you have had to place an elder into a nursing home you want to bring some nature in you want to bring in plants not only does it help with the oxygen but it's a it is a great stress reducer so in feng shui we will strategically place plants around to promote healthy air but to also reduce anxiety and stress you also want to add color if a room is too white or too tan or whatever the one color too I can't imagine too red or too black, but if you if somebody would have that, but you have to promote and bring in splashes of color if the room is predominantly white or cream. Then adding a, an accent pillow or a vase or something of color will, will bring in good cheer color has an ability to lift your vibration so color is very important. I also want to encourage you to bring the sunshine in. If you do not, if if your elder, your loved one, is in a room where there's no window, 
then you must bring in lights with specific light bulbs that can emulate the sunshine for them to keep them in a happier space. But if you do have a room that has sunshine, then by all means, allow the sunshine to come in the room when you have it. We've been experiencing some gloomy, gloomy, juny, juny here in Southern California. But if you can allow sunshine in, please do that as well. Very important for your elder. I also want to tell you that in feng shui, one of the biggest principles of feng shui is to eliminate clutter. It's easier said than done sometimes, especially when I was clearing out my mother's email this morning as she and I were at an appointment. And there were some, I don't know, 4,000 emails and I'm flying through them. The majority of them were nonsense and I'm deleting them. She said, are you, are you sure you're not deleting something important? I said, this one's from 2018. I think you're all right. So I'm letting go of stuff. And as I gave her phone back, she was commenting to me on how fast things were coming in, the text that she was getting or whatever. In, in your, the environment of all of us, but in particular, the elders, we've got to eliminate clutter because clutter not only creates stagnant energy around you where pockets of grief can culminate, pockets of anxiety, depression, but it physically poses a danger because the elders can trip and fall. So eliminate clutter. And then lastly, consider bringing in scent. Sometimes as our elders age, they lose their ability to have strong sense of smell, but it is still proven that essential oils of lavender around the bed can, can promote um, comfort and calm. And if they have a kitchen area, then basil is really good or a citrus in the restroom. There are areas scents that you want to bring in to create calm. Even if your elder says, I can't really smell it, bring it in because it does promote a sense of calm for those that are coming to visit them also. That's my tip. I hope I didn't go too long. I hope you can pick up on some of those. Stick around. Coming up next is Mariel Hemingway with a tip on balance. Welcome back, everybody, to Out Comes the Sun Radio, and thank you. Yes, I do have a tip on balance, and my tip today is about sugar. I want to talk about a spoonful of sugar didn't help the medicine go down. <laughs> um, sugar is, I'm not going to be somebody who's going to tell you that sugar is like the worst thing in the world, but it isn't the best thing for you. So I'm going to tell you to become conscious of how much how much sugar you ingest. When my uh, ex-husband had cancer years ago, when he first got it, um, I got very, I got very involved in his, you know, healing as, as one does, you know, with somebody you love and you want them to get better. And one of the first things we did is we changed his diet and we eliminated sugar from his diet completely. And that meant um, white flour, that meant every, any kind of flour products, you don't realize that actually bread and pasta and rice and all of these different things turn into sugar in the body. The body doesn't know any difference between bread and pasta and that and a piece of chocolate cake, which is obviously a lot of sugar. Um, because sugar 
uh, feeds cancer cells and they're just going to get more and more and more. I just, just know that if they, if you know of anybody, I highly encourage changing their diet. It can be a game changer for anybody trying to heal most yeah, you know, most diseases are caused by inflammation and sugar is one of the biggest causes of inflammation in the body and the brain, funnily enough. Now, all this being said, you might be like, just tuning out. I don't want to hear Marielle tell me that I can't eat sugar because I love to have a little cookie in the afternoon. Well, look, if you're just having a cookie at four in the afternoon, then that that's fine. But if you're having a cookie and you're also having a couple of glasses of wine and you're putting sugar in your coffee and and then the list goes on and then you go to a restaurant and there's sugar in the salad dressing, right? You think you've chosen a healthy, a healthy choice. Just be aware that sugar is kind of hiding in everything. So my 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 help to anybody who wants to limit sugar, because I'm not saying you're never going to have sugar again. I'm saying make sugar a treat. Because when I was a kid, I was brought up in a way that sugar, like treats and, and dessert wasn't something you had every night. That was kind of special. And I remember we would go out to dinner. Maybe we actually, when I grew up in Idaho, there weren't that many restaurants, but we would only go out maybe once a month and dessert. My mother didn't make dessert every night, but she made it maybe once a week. Right. And so sugar was like, uh, it, it was fun and exciting. And I think that things like maybe like glasses of wine or or sugar treats and having a cookie and stuff if you make them kind of celebratory and something that very special that you only do once in a while let me tell you something about making them special you will enjoy them so much more you will taste them with with your whole being. So it, it, it's not about, I don't ever, don't ever do this again. It's about being mindful and, you know, and moderate. So that's my tip for the day. Just be a little bit moderate with your sugar and, and start this week to become aware of how much sugar you're eating, because you might be surprised. It might be a little bit too much. Well, Mel, you remember Little House on the Prairie. Laura Ingalls only got a cube of sugar at Christmas time. Oh, my. It was a special thing found in the stocking. So, yeah, we might have to go back to that. I'm just buying cubes <laughs> of sugar and giving it out for Christmas. And that's all you're getting, Missy. Um, yeah, so, you know, we all, we all have to limit sugar. Anyway, um, but we don't have to live in the prairie if you don't want to. You can't agree. <laughs> Anyway, thank you everyone for listening to Outcomes of Sun today. We love being here. Melissa Yamaguchi, my amazing co-host, and myself, Marielle Hemingway. We'll see you next time on Outcomes the Sun. Outcomes the Sun has been a production of Evolve Entertainment. Hosts, Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Executive producer, Jeremiah Higgins. And sound engineer and producer, Richard Dr. D. Dugan. Thank you for listening.